Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast. This is Patricia Raskin, host of Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. We have a very interesting program for you today. For those of you who have had addictions and compulsions in the past or have them now, and I think all of us in some way or another have some some sort of addiction, even if it's sometimes to watching television or working on our computers or talking on the phone. But whatever our addictions and compulsions, we can lead a life that moves us toward satisfaction and serenity. My guest has been through this, and she's written a book on recovery. And most recovery books are written for the beginner, and that may make sense, but once you've read them, then what? Mary Cook is my guest, and her book is Grace Lost and Found, From Addictions and Compulsions to Satisfaction and Serenity. And these answer those questions. This is a grace-centered approach for people at later stages of recovery who may want to be looking at what are the underlying causes of addictions and, and really seek to heal the pain and the psychological issues that they have, which many people who are addicted have that. Mary Cook has a master's degree in psychology. She has three decades of clinical and teaching experience, and she really works with a compassionate approach. And she's worked for 34 years with, and 29 years of university experience. Welcome, Mary. <laughs> Thank you, Patricia. Yeah. You know, your book is very compassionate and healing. And when you talk about grace lost and found, what does that title say? What does that title mean? Uh, I believe that we come here filled with divine grace and that all of the answers and solutions to any questions and problems that occur in this life are inside of us. But I also believe that the trials and tribulations of life on earth can capture our attention to the point where pain and suffering, defenses, and our ways of adapting to the world cause us to forget our spiritual nature. And once this happens, um, we tend to over-empower outside things, you know, like addiction, compulsions, all kinds of negative habits we acquire, I think uh, in part to minimize a sense of deep loss we feel within. And, you know, the good news is that when we discover that these outside fixes don't work, we're not feeling any better. In fact, we're feeling worse. That can propel us into uh, doing some healing work that restores this conscious awareness of grace and brings us to a more powerful sense of gratitude and reverence for life. I believe it is something that we are meant to lose and find again, because when we find it again, it is so much more dear and precious to us. How do you help people who have anger about it and say, well, you know, I'm addicted to alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is, because, you know, here's an issue I had with my parents, and I'm angry. You know, other people don't have those issues, and I do. How do you help people work through their anger and resentment? Mm-hmm. 
I think, you know, first of all, having compassion for the anger, not judging the anger, but really taking a look at it and uh, embracing it and holding it, you know, in a um, mental and emotional kind of way. It always makes our life worse when we act out in angry ways. Mm. But if we can just feel the anger and talk about why we are so angry and what happened to us and, you know, because so often if we are adults and we are really angry, uh, it goes back to when the things that made us the angriest, um, you know, there, there, there wasn't a time and place and situation and people around to really um, help us to understand and heal and recover from that anger, and so we're still carrying it. So we, we do need a place to be able to talk about it. And and, and if we carry that for too long, don't you think part of the problem then is that um, we remain, I mean, it fuels the addictive cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, part of the anger, that you know, what, what can piggyback on top of the anger is that if I feel these people did me harm and that's why I'm drinking and using today, um, then we feel entitled that somehow life or sometimes people are supposed to make it up to us. And I think one of the things that we discover in recovery and in counseling is that that doesn't work. How long have we been trying to get life to make it up to us and to get new people in our life to make it up to us? And it doesn't work. We really have to do that. We really have to understand and heal uh, from any past harm. And that underneath this anger is just really a desire to feel truly understood. Well, when you work with folks and you work as a therapist... Do you find that um, there's usually one underlying cause? Do you find that you work with one specific type of addiction or many? Oh, I find that I work with many. So many people that come into treatment or counseling that think they have one addiction, the longer that they remain in, you know, in this process of self-discovery, the more negative habits they find. Um, And generally, there isn't just one cause, but there might be a primary theme. The primary theme might have to do with abandonment or abuse or Mm -hmm. mistreatment or gross chronic misunderstanding. Um, Very often, there is a dominant theme, but generally, there are many issues. Yeah. One of the things that you do at the end of each chapter, which is is very healing, is you ask people questions like, do I perceive myself as a victim and when? What tools do I lack at these times? Or, you know, what are my imprints from trauma? I mean, it just goes on and on. Or what is my threshold for fear? You know, what's the harm that I've done to myself and others? How has loss affected my relationships? So you ask people to really look at those questions. Mm-hmm. I, I do that um, for a few reasons. One reason is many people read self-help books, and they, they're feeling good when they're reading them because they feel as if they're vicariously healing just by understanding. Mm-hmm. But it requires more than intellectual understanding. It requires an emotional process of healing. It requires behavioral changes and um, the ways that we live and think about the world um, and the ways that we communicate, all that needs to be changed. And so I really wanted this to be a workbook 
uh, and many people are gathering and forming small group clubs um, where they read a chapter and they talk about what they got out of the chapter and they answer the questions together in a small group and then they decide one thing that they are going to change, one reasonable change that they can be successful with until they meet again. And then they process that. So it was really, you know, whether people do it in groups or whether they do it on their own, the questions are there because I really want people to use it as a workbook to change things in their lives. Mm-hmm. What have you found uh, in your own life in terms of addictions and compulsions that has helped you the most? Mm, what helps me the most really is my... Oh, my connection to my higher power, <laughs> who I choose to call God, that's what helps me the most. Um, when I remember, and, and to me, grace is the experience of the God of our understanding, eternally, unconditionally, and completely loving us. And when I remember that I'm not all alone trying to wrestle with something or trying to understand something, that I am filled with divine grace and that things will come in their own time, um, that helps tremendously. I get, I, um, when I have dreams, um, I do work with my dreams. When I meditate and pray, I often receive visions and I do work with my visions. I really believe these are all tools for us and, one of the things that um, that I receive often, because my my compulsion tends to be workaholism. I love my work, <laughs> and there's a little else that I would rather do than than um, than my work. And and so I get visions of dancing and playing <laughs> and lightness and laughter to tell me to to bring myself into greater balance. Well, and it's the higher power. Talk about 12-step groups and how that plays into the addiction, the, uh, working and recovering from the addictive process. Mm. Well, generally, the, the wounds and the traumas that we have, generally they are caused by people. Um, some of us, you know, get, um, get into accidents or natural disasters or something, but usually our traumas and our wounds are caused by people. So it's very important that people play a, a very significant role in healing us. And so that social aspect, that aspect of walking into meetings where other people are present and also hearing other people. You know, many people, when they first attend meetings, they, you know, they show up in the parking lot and they sit in their car, you know, and then maybe they might go in and then stand against the wall and listen, and then maybe they might take a seat, you know. So it, it takes people time sometimes to trust, um, but that beginning of I couldn't maybe trust people in my life before before who harmed me, but I am hearing, you know, you can sit in meetings and you'll hear how other people experience similar kinds of anguish and pain. And, and, you know, there's a formula to speak in 12-step meetings, and it's that we share experience, strength, and hope. Experience is the problems and uh, strength of the tools that we're using. And hope is, you know, here's what's happening that's positive. Here's how I am transforming. Here's how my life is getting better. And so people can can allow themselves to little by little identify and feel and see that not only is it a safe place, but it really is a healing place. And there's an exchange of energy, I believe, that takes place as we right. share you know, the harm well. that has been in our life and 
begin to take in the energy of compassionate, healing, hopeful, inspirational people around us. Mary, how can people get your book? <laughs> My book is available at uh, Barnes & Noble bookstores and Amazon.com, um, eBay.com, uh, Borders, uh, some of the larger Borders stores and Borders.com. And actually, if they just go online, it's on a whole lot of... Uh, <laughs> There's a whole lot of online stores selling it, as well as Barnes and Noble bookstores and some borders. Yeah, and the publishers. As I said, what I think is so lovely is the the questions that you ask, and also the affirmations that you have mm-hmm. at the end of each chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them is, "I pay attention to my assumptions, attitudes, and behaviors, and identify whether they originate from past pain or from current current recovery principles, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to change my behaviors and thoughts." to support positive personal growth. That's great. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, my guest is Mary Cook, and her book is Grace, Lost and Found, From Addictions and Compulsions to Satisfaction and Serenity. And Mary Cook has a master's degree in psychology and is a registered addiction specialist with 34 years of clinical experience and almost 30 years of university teaching experience. Again, you're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on leadership intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. And I'm Patricia Raskin. We have a great guest for you today. Her name is Mary Cook, and her book is Grace, Lost, and Found, From Addictions and Compulsions to Satisfaction and Serenity. And that's really what this is all about. Mary Cook holds a master's degree in psychology and is a registered addiction specialist with 34 years of clinical experience and 29 years of university teaching experience. She has a private practice providing telephone and office counseling, as well as in-service training seminars, workshops, and guided meditation. She is a national speaker and has been a contributing editor for Steps for Recovery since 2001. You can log on to marycookma.com. Welcome back, Mary. Thank you. Why did you decide to write this book? There's a lot of books on addiction, but this, of course, works with people who are a little farther along in their recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the reason that I, I finally wrote the book is people have been asking me for years to write a book. Um, wherever I go to speak, um, as a teacher at, the, at different universities, um, and even in my counseling sessions, clients and uh, students and <laughs> attendees at uh, seminars have been asking, you know, where's your book? Can I buy your book for years? And so finally I decided to put this together. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'm slow at some things, and this for some reason I was slow at. Um, and and I had been writing articles for some time, and um, people from treatment centers would call me up and tell me that whenever my article comes out, they would make copies of it, and people would read it in their groups, and they would discuss it. And that's actually one of the other reasons why I decided to put questions, um, personal growth questions, at the end of each article to to help people out in that regard. So actually, it was it was requests by many, many, many people. The reason why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so your clients said, you know, we really want to hear from you. Now, in your book, I mean, in the, the very first thing you look at is you say, what does the inside have to do with the outside? Explain that comment. Mm. <laughs> so often we think that the problem is outside of us. It's in some external circumstance or person or problem in our life, and really the outside, I believe, reflects something inside. I believe life is always signaling us, saying, you know, take a look at yourself. Um, Particularly, people have difficulty um, with their children at times, and all children can do is absorb and imitate, and really, children are meant to teach us. They're meant to say, oh, where is this in me? If I'm not liking what my child is doing or saying right now or how they're acting, where does this live inside of me? And I think um, it's the, you know, one of the important keys to living is uh, to look around at what is coming at us in life. And rather, if it feels negative, rather than to have a negative response to it, to really just observe it in a neutral position if we can and say, you know, where is this in me? What can I learn from this? And how can I respond in that in the healthiest, most positive, or if not positive, neutral way positive, uh, possible? Because 
when we have a negative response to some outside thing, negative, then, then now we're stuck to it for a very long time and it gets much worse. So we need to take a look at our outsides and say, this is leading me back inward to do my work, to do my healing work. How do you help folks who you work with who really want to stop the behaviors that they have? They say that they do and they keep going back to them. How do you help them with that? Well, I think if they keep going back to them, then then they are serving a purpose, and we need to find out what that purpose is. So Mm. rather than try and, and, and tug them to move to a different place, I just say, let's take a really good, long thorough, deep look. Right, rather than yelling at them or telling them, you know, they have to stop cold turkey and what's wrong with them and why did they slip? No, they must feel a a great, great need to be exactly where they are doing exactly what they're doing, and let's find out what Mm -hmm. that's about. What is that need about? What is it? What's what is it filling inside mm. of them? And what they are so. And the other way to go with it is: what are they afraid they're going to lose that they feel desperately mm-hmm. need if they? I think that's up? really key. Yeah. And many times, Mary, we're filling up something with that behavior, right? Mm-hmm. It's loneliness or emptiness or wanting to be loved or wanting to feel needed or just not wanting to feel pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that drink or the sex or the drug stops the pain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. temporarily, mm-hmm. I would like to add. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and really it's just a temporary illusion. <laughs> if you look with sober eyes at somebody under the influence, you know, that person under the influence may think they got it all together, but... But if you look with sober eyes, you understand, oh, poor soul, I need to pray for them. (laughs) You you see it much differently. So it really just presents an illusion. It really just stops the brain from giving you the the normal um, uh, perception that you have, you know, the normal reality that you have, and stops the brain from sending you those signals that you, you typically get to to understand, you know, how you feel inside and what your life is like outside. And and when the brain doesn't deliver that information the way it normally does, then whatever you would like to believe, you believe is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's you. what you do, what you're saying is you help people get to the real reason. I mean, what are they giving up and maybe what, what is the great need that they're feeling by this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one example of that is compulsive overeating. Um, Lots of times compulsive overeaters, this was an early association made in their mind that the only nourishment that they could count on was physical nourishment, food. And that really, you know, they're, they're, they're stuck, you know, giving themselves too much food because they don't know how to provide non-physical nourishment. They don't know how, even if it is available to them in their environment today, they're not sure they can trust it. Mm. They're not sure that they can count on that to feel nourished. Also, sometimes compulsive Mm. overeating is about providing a protective buffer uh, between self and others when others have been harmful or intrusive or over-controlling. Let's talk about some of the other ones that's so insightful. What about people who uh, use alcohol? People who use alcohol, um, generally, you know, they want, they, they don't know any natural ways to feel euphoric, to feel, ah, 
free and easy and calm, you know. They don't know any natural ways to do that. They don't have a natural way to feel peace inside of them and in their life. Um, and and also, it's a great numbing, uh, has a great numbing effect on any pain that's present. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we don't know how to heal pain and we don't know how to experience natural highs, alcohol is great for that. Again, just providing an illusion. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. What about sex, which is becoming more popular in terms of addiction? Yes, yes. Um, Sex is that, you know, generally people get caught up in sexual addiction when something went wrong with love, and usually it goes back to earlier in life, you know. Um, when we're trying to get, we're, we want to feel loved, we want to give love. If you look at healthy children, that's all they're about. They want to give love, they want to receive love. They have no barriers, they have no boundaries, they're just just freely want to be in this loving state. And when things go wrong in that loving state, or when there is sexual abuse or premature sexual titillation or observation, then um, people can get stuck where instead of the feeling and the power of, of uh, the focus on love, it becomes sex. But I think for people that have sex addiction, very important for them to look at the ways that they were loved and felt loved and gave love and received mm-hmm. love. And then there's also the co-addiction, whether it's you know the Al-Anon or whether it's a, you know whether it's a, a somebody who finds relationships with the addict. Mm-hmm. So the co-sex addict finds you know may not be a sex addict, but feeds right in, or mm-hmm. the co you know, alcoholic is, doesn't drink, but mm-hmm. finds that kind of personality. Right, yeah. And, and you know, often what, where codependency stems from is, is somewhere in childhood. People felt that, you know, I can't, I can't rely on someone bigger and stronger and wiser than me to take care of things, to take care of me, to take care of my siblings. And so the person prematurely steps into an adult role where they really don't belong in that adult role. They're still a child. Um, They're still a young person. And that they decide that the way to get people to take better care of me is I'll, I'll take care of them. Let me focus on them. Let me take care of them, and then they'll be well enough, and then they'll be able to take care of me in return. And so in codependency, we really we step out of, and it's not an altruistic move. It is a defensive mood because it, it, we step out of feeling worried and scared for ourselves when we need help into I'm the one in power, I'm the one in control, I can take care of you. So we're no longer in a fear place, we're in a powerful place. But... You know, all addictions and compulsions over time, not only do they have diminishing returns, but they absolutely backfire, where now things become much worse. Because in adulthood, if we're codependent, that person is not going to appreciate us. They're going to exploit us. They're not going to help us when we really need help. We're going to wonder, why are we not appreciated? Yeah. And we keep we giving and giving and giving, and how come we're not getting back? Yeah. Right. yeah. Or, or exactly. I'll give you sex if you love me. Mm-hmm. Or I'll give you, um, you know, I'll stay with you when you're drinking if you still love me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need to get back to, um, you know, our real self, taking responsibility for ourselves yeah. and our life. And and paradoxically, the best positive effect we can have on people around us 
is to embrace our own our own personal development, our own spiritual reawakening, our own letting go of addictions and compulsions and becoming centered and grounded and as healthy as we can inside of ourselves. That's actually then we ha- then we are at the best place to give to other people who wish to receive that when we can give to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And trying to give to other people actually creates more resistance and more defensiveness and more stubbornness and more rebelliousness. It's yeah. actually something that backfires. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about addictions and type of addictions and type of behaviors. My guest today is Mary Cook, and her book is Grace, Lost, and Found, From Addictions to Compulsions to Satisfaction and Serenity. And is there a website, Mary, for the book? Uh, uh, Well, there's my website, and I have book information on my website. And that's marycookma.com. Yes. marycookma.com. All right, folks, you're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living. We're here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. My guest is Mary Cook, and her book is Grace, Lost, and Found, 
from addictions and compulsions to satisfaction and serenity. And this book is very much about grace. And I want to tell you about our author, Mary Cook, who holds a master's degree in psychology and is a registered addiction specialist with 34 years of clinical experience, 29 years of university teaching experience, and she has a private practice. She's a national speaker. She's been a contributing editor for Steps for Recovery since 2001, and you can find her at marycookma.com, marycookma.com. Mary, do you think that in the last 10 or 15 years that addictions have gotten worse. Is there more evidence? Are we more stressed than we've been before? Where are we in our culture? Hmm. You know, I really don't believe um, that there are more addictions and compulsions. I mean, other than certainly there are new ones, but like the Internet and, (laughs) you know, all the computer technology-based addictions are new, but I don't know that there's actually more... I just think we're we're more aware of them. People talk more openly about them. Um, there's so many 12-step meetings for practically every every addiction or compulsion that exists. You know, stuttering, cluttering, <laughs> whatever. So I think that there's an increased awareness. I think there's a readiness for public conversation uh, about addictions and compulsions. So it's very much about. Um you think there's more awareness than there was? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, I believe people talk more about it. And, Let's talk um, about some of the other addictions. So we talked about alcohol. We talked about sex. Let's talk about, um, and we talked about food addiction. Let's talk about gambling addiction and drug addiction mm-hmm. and what, is, what are some of the, the hallmarks or the markers for those. Yeah. For uh, for compulsive gamblers, the, the focus is so much on the big win that the you know really what the treatment involves is what was the big loss? What's the big loss? And generally, it's emotional, it's internal. Usually, it's past uh, experiences. Also, there's there's a focus in uh, gambling on grandiosity. You know, feeling big, feeling powerful. Um, and so it suggests that this, you know, somebody who is prone to compulsive gambling did not receive enough healthy empowerment, did not receive enough um, communication and behavior and feelings that they were wonderful, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that people wanted to hear what they had to say and you know what their where their talents lay. And the other thing about compulsive gambling is that you know we we don't want to have to work. To earn a living, we want to just win something. You know, we want to just play the lottery, and so that suggests that somewhere deep inside, we got the false belief that we we don't have the talents to support ourselves in exactly the way that we desire to support mm. ourselves. That somehow we missed out on those talents, and that's not true. So we're all filled with false beliefs that need to be reckoned with and need to be examined. Where did the person get those false beliefs and how can we undo them and let them go? It's amazing how each one has its own specific... Yes, yes. I mean, you you can take, you know, a hundred compulsive gamblers and they're all going to have different specifics and different details, but the themes are very similar. Mm. Yeah. All right, let's look at uh, drugs. Um, You know, when we're talking about... uh, 
especially street drugs, you know, along with street drug addiction usually comes criminal behavior. And so there is, um, you know, it suggests criminal behavior, you know, a neighborhood watch, when people join neighborhood watch and they say, you know, our, our neighborhood is just filled with dope dealers and, you know, and drug addicts and we don't want them here. And the police tell them, we'll put up bright lights and plant flowers and have, uh, you know, community uh, fairs, um, you know, and, and go out on the sidewalk and sing and and have potlucks and so on because drug addicts don't want anything to do with that kind of atmosphere, those kinds of feelings. And so there's a darkness. There's a darkness that exists um, in addiction. You um, think there's an introversion? They're afraid I, of people? I think it suggests that. No, not so, no, because there's not so much fear of other people who are in a dark space. <laughs> you know, people like to use in crack houses and like to shoot dope and shooting galleries and like to be amongst other people often. It's not so much that. It's that there is a fear of positive energy. Mm-hmm. There's a fear of light and love and mm-hmm. health and healing uh, because somehow that person felt either deprived of it or felt cheated out of it or felt that it was there for a short period of time and then it was gone. And um, and And so, you know, because very often when we... When we feel deficient of something early in our life, then later in our life, if we start, if there are opportunities that, that exist for us to receive that, it, we have a bittersweet response because it reminds us if we're going to receive something that we desperately needed early on, we didn't get. It's going to remind us of that earlier period where we mm-hmm. desperately needed it, we didn't get get it. So it's going to bring up the pain. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of running away from pain, not knowing how to contain pain, how to understand pain, not wanting to feel it. So willing to go to any length, not that we can do in general. What can we do? Pain seems to be a common denominator here for most addictions: Mm -hmm. pain, emptiness, loneliness. Mm -hmm. What are some simple things that people can do to help themselves? Oh, you know, one thing I like to ask people is I want you to think of something that's healthy and positive. Um, You know, whether that was a person in your life at any point in time, whether it was a book, whether it was a piece of art, whether it was an animal, whether it was something in nature, whether it was imagination, you know, whether it was an activity you were involved in, think of something positive, healthy, and wonderful that was uplifting to you. Now, most people can think of something. Now, every now and then someone says, I can't think of anything, and then I say to them, then make it up right now. Create it right now in your imagination, something that is healthy and positive and wonderful. Um, And then I tell them that you need to practice remembering this or thinking of this, focusing on this, feeling the energy. First, we have to have the idea that something positive and healthy and wonderful does exist, in our consciousness, now we have to pay attention to it. Now we want to move it into our heart space and begin to feel it. And now we want it to expand from our heart space into the rest of our body, and we want to feel our whole body shifting energetically from a tense, rigid, tight place to a place of ease, a place of comfort, a place of trust and openness because we're feeling whatever this thing is that is possible. So moving the body is is very important in all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and being in touch with the body. Yes. And this is difficult for people who've had sexual abuse and uh, physical abuse in their history because, you know, usually, if, especially if there's chronic or severe sexual or other physical abuse, people learn to dissociate from their body. They learn to tune out, to numb their bodies. They don't want to be in their body. They don't, and so, consequently, they don't feel the signals. They don't know because the body signals us when we're going in the wrong direction, you know, whether it's just, you know, we ate incorrectly or this is a bad street to walk down or that's a person that's too dangerous to put in our life, you know. Whatever it is, our body is signaling to us. We have an internal guidance system. So if we had to disassociate because of physical or sexual abuse earlier in our life, we don't have that internal guidance. So in recovery, it's very important for us to get back in our body. To, to feel, you know, that it is safe to get back in our body. It is safe to feel whatever we need to feel because, you know, I believe psychology is like the fairy tales that, uh, you know, we we often read as children where you have to slay the ogre and you have to <laughs> answer the riddles and you have to fight the dragons and then you win the treasure. <laughs> you know, there are all these barriers that we set up of, of defense mechanisms and symptoms and addictions and compulsions and and we need to clear those out of the way little by little with help so that we can find the treasure, which is our true self inside, which is we are a self-healing organism. We have everything that we could ever need or want in an entire lifetime inside of us. It's, that is our treasure, our real self. But we have to get all of these things out of the way first. But, yes, moving the body, in particular for drug, alcohol, and other drug addiction, um, body movement and exercise is very important to get all of the drugs that hide in the fatty tissues into the bloodstream so they can be detoxified by the liver and get out of the system. Um, and just just the movement, walking, you know, and other kinds of movements. It's a natural antidepressant. And it doesn't have to be, as all you of said, that, you know, it doesn't have to be the intense exercise, it's the movement to feel life and breath in mm-hmm. your body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Generally, we want gentle movement mm-hmm. because usually people involved in addictions and compulsions, you know, they, they get used to adrenaline surges in their body. And that's part of the high, not just the drug high, but also these adrenaline surges. Um, mm-hmm. And people with, you know, non-drug and non-alcohol uh, compulsions also very often walking around with high adrenaline charges in their system. And what they really need is not to go have a heavy-duty workout in a the gym. They need to slow down, do something like yoga or tai chi, breathing, meditation, you know, yes, walking, swimming, but slowly, mm-hmm. slow movement, gentle movement, and to get used to that. Because the, there's been a, an abuse of the body, so the body now has to get used to being relaxed and let go of that tense energy and that, mm-hmm. and that anxiety. All right, we're going to have to close. So what are your closing thoughts? What is your message about when you are or when you have been through addictions and compulsions, how you can go from grace to lost and then to sound, from to, to satisfaction and serenity in your life, Mary. Mm-hmm. Closing thoughts. By remembering that, you know, this, this false idea that I'm not, an enough, I'm not enough and I don't have enough is, you know, the, the, the truth is the exact opposite, that we are filled with love and blessings, that we have everything we need inside of us to have a wonderful 
life mm-hmm. and to give to others, to be of service to others. And very often the way that we discover how wonderful we are is by giving to others. Mm-hmm. When we step into recovery, step into personal growth. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the program, Mary. Mm-hmm. Stay on the line. You're I guess welcome. in Mary Cook, her book is Grace Lost and Found from Addictions and Compulsions to Satisfaction and Serenity. Remember, folks, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know that you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. I'd be happy to put you on the email list. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great Monday and a great week. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 